And this evening's message, I want to minister from the title, Four Things That I've Never Seen. Four Things That I've Never Seen. Psalm 37, this is King David in verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now, of course, if you've ever taken the time to read First and Second Samuel, then you know that King David's life was anything but dull. Here's a man that delivered a lamb from the paw of a bear and a lion. He defeated Goliath. He survived Saul. David reigned for 40 years, committed adultery, and had an innocent man by the name of Uriah murdered, and he lived long enough that on his dying bed he saw sin overspread the entirety of his house. David's life was anything but dull, and all of those facts helped form the character of this man. And when you look at Psalm 37, you Looking at a man who was taking the time to contrast the righteous and the unrighteous. Notice what he says in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Notice what he says in verse 18. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. David is making the contrast between good and bad, between what is evil and what is holy. And he's pouring forth these observations because he wants us to understand something of the character of God. And according to the verse that we read, the main text, verse 25, he's now come to a place in his life where he feels like he needs to share these things. He says, I have been young. Here's a man that even in his youth, he loved God. So let's not forget Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember now the Lord in the days of thy youth. Why wait until you're an elderly person to give God your strength and your energy and your resources? Do it now while you're younger. Serve God while you're capable and able, because the Bible says that if you wait until later, that pretty soon those evil days will overtake you. And what he's saying is there'll come a point in time in your life when you're older, you won't be able to do what you're able to do when you're younger. So God says, consider the springtime of your life in comparison with the winter season of your life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, but how many people think about God when they're young? Not a lot. I mean, most people, you know, young people, we think we're invincible. I say we, I'm not even in that category anymore. But, but most teenagers and folks in their 20s and 30s, they believe they're invincible. And, and you look around today, and of course, we, we see what has been taking place with uh, COVID and the, the anger on different sides, and people are mad because 
you know, you've got young people gathering together on beaches and they were getting together at parties and stuff last year. But but, you know, as well as I do, when you were in your 20s and 30s, you believed you were invincible also. And had it been you and you were 16 or 17, you would have been right out there doing the very same thing. But here's what David said. In your youth, remember your creator. Remember that you come from the hand of God. Remember that the Lord is the one that designed you and brought you into this world. And then let's not forget that the transition takes place. And David has made the transition because now he's at the top of the hill looking back down the hill. And he says, I'm an older person now. And when you're older, you tend to have a little bit more wisdom to give. Young people that think. Mom and dad don't know so much today. When they get older and have their kids, they'll realize how wise mom and dad truly were. And then later on, they'll appreciate grandma and grandpa because they'll know grandma and grandpa were wise. When older people finally get to that position in life where they have acquired wisdom and they have something to give back, then it's important to allow the elderly to pass on what they've learned. The cemetery is filled with bodies, people who died and never were able to pour what they knew into another vessel. You think of how many recipes are out there in the cemetery. Nobody ever learned. Think of how many master craftsmen existed a hundred years ago, didn't have any of the instruments that we have today. Had nobody to pass on those skills to. Think of the mothers who had wisdom even in raising their children, disciplining their children, but never had anybody to pass that on to because people wouldn't listen to them. I think when God gives you an opportunity to listen to someone who's passed down the road you're traveling, we ought to button our lips and listen to what they have to say and just let God speak through them into our lives. And if you've had grandparents that you were close to and were able to spend a lot of time with them and you enjoyed spending time with them, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I always love to hear my grandma tell stories of her being the first one to leave Alabama to come up north and one by one brought all of her siblings up so that they could all start over. And she brought my mom and my auntie up also. But story after story, I would hear, I would love to hear my dad when he'd tell about his dad being a Baptist preacher, preached the gospel over 80 years, never did learn to read or write because he was born before slavery was ended. My dad would have to read stories to him from the Bible so that my grandpa could hear the word and then get up in the pulpit and preach the word. You say, well, how, what, what, what age was was this? Well, he was born in 1848, died in 1951, long before I ever got here. You see? So when you consider that people who have been young have made the transition and now they're older, you can understand what Mr. David is saying. Here's a man whose eyes saw betrayal, bloody warfare, plagues, rebellion, But those eyes that saw so much as a skillful career warrior, here's what he says in verse 25. I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed 
begging bread. I haven't seen the descendants of a righteous person having to beg on the streets because God preserves and honors his covenant. Well, if David could say that with the life that he lived, what can you say? What is it that you have not seen? What is it that you've never seen in relationship with God? This psalm reveals to us the character of God. It explains to us how God interacts with us. And like David, and like so many of you, I started serving God when I was young. So I can think of four things I've never seen in connection with my relationship with God. And the first one is very simple. I've never seen a sin that God didn't hate. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalmist said in Psalm 103, I'm glad God doesn't deal with us according to the multitude of our iniquities, sins. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the Lord placed man in the garden and said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree, but the fruit here, please leave that alone. It belongs to me. But Eve ate of the fruit along with her husband and sin suddenly was manifested. They realized they were naked. They tried to hide from the presence of God. When they gave birth to children, Cain ended up murdering his own sibling. Wonder what they thought about that. That here a sibling kills his own kin and his blood was shed and God has to come along and talk. At no time has God ever been pleased with sin. At no time has he ever been happy with it. He was so disappointed with mankind that in Noah's day he flooded the earth and started all over with eight people. Never seen a sin that God didn't hate. Now, it doesn't matter if it's murder or lying. The Ten Commandments are clear. God doesn't want us to have another God. He doesn't want us committing adultery. He doesn't want us coveting after other people's goods, other people's possessions, and so on and so forth. And the language is strong enough to let us know that God shows his displeasure with it. And I bring that out because we try to create terms today that lessen the sting of sin. We don't want the stigma and the shame attached to it. So we have all kinds of ways that we do that. You know, those people that like to swing and dance around poles, you know, they they don't call them strippers a lot of time today. They're exotic dancers. You know, when we talk about adultery, we don't call it that. They say he or she had an affair. You know, this sounds a lot more diplomatic when you say it that way. And uh, when I was in California this past week, I was watching the news one night and it was the local news and they were showing how many homeless people in San Francisco break into people's houses at night, rob the owners, beat the owners, take personal possessions, sometimes rape individuals, lead people in harm's way and in a very destitute condition. But when they come up in the court system, the lawyers have arranged it so that now the homeless are to be treated as a special category. So if they break into your house and rob you, it's now called a quality of life event. You have to consider how bad their circumstances are that are driving them to that. I've told you before that right here in our own state today, in the 
criminal justice system. You can no longer call people criminals. You have to call them justice involved individuals. So we have language that tries to lessen the effect of sin, but it doesn't change the fact that God is unhappy with certain conduct. And when you read in the Bible words like sin, trespass, transgression, abomination, confusion, perversion, those are not adjectives that were designed to be complimentary. God is saying he's displeased with this activity. But if I've never seen a sin that God doesn't hate, then we've got to understand the Lord's sadness regarding it. Let's never forget Proverbs 6, verses 16, 17 tells us there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. He says he doesn't like a proud look. Twice he says a lying tongue. Then he says a heart that devises Wicked imaginations. I've wondered when I've walked through airports and I've stopped in the bookstores and looked at the what's on the best selling list. I've wondered what what kind of a deviant mind could come up with this plot. And I'm reading the fly leaf on the back. You're like, oh, my goodness. No wonder people read this and can't sleep at night. And then they take it and turn it into a movie or somebody creates a movie. And, and, and when it comes out, it's winning all kinds of awards. And you wonder what what kind of a mind comes up with this kind of stuff? A heart that's wicked, devising terrible things in that imagination. That imagination can be used in a vain way or it can be used in a holy way. But the Bible says cast down imagination that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. But the scripture also speaks about hands that are shedding innocent blood. And every day in this nation, there are a lot of people that are shot in drive-by shootings. There are people that are killed behind closed doors. Sometimes the cases go unsolved. Let's never forget about the millions of little kids, little infants, little babies that die every day from a mama's womb. People are battling and wrestling with ideas about whether or not It's the government's choice or a dad's choice or a woman's choice to determine what happens with that baby. But remember, Ecclesiastes also tells us it is God that causes the bones to grow inside a mama's womb. Jeremiah chapter one, the Lord said to that prophet of God, he said, before you were in the womb, I knew you. See, before I formed you, I knew you. God doesn't like hands that shed innocent blood. God is not pleased with doctors that do that or with the activity of moms that do that. He's not happy with people that have left their children in pastures on a rubbish heap or have gone in a back alley somewhere trying to end their pregnancy. God has never been happy with somebody trying to throw themselves down the stairs in order to end a so-called unwanted pregnancy. Hands that shed innocent blood. Innocent blood. But the Bible also speaks of feet that are swift to run to mischief. And somebody can send out a tweet or post something on Facebook and you can get thousands of people to gather in a center square and they'll all be there to rebel against the government officials. They'll be ready to burn down shops. And there's always people that hasten to get there. Oh, I can't wait to get there to set such and such person's shop on fire. God isn't pleased with that. So if if I've never seen a sin God didn't hate, I can also go on and tell you I've never seen a sinner God didn't love. 
I've never seen a sinner that God didn't love. Romans 5, verse number 8 says it this way. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the Bible also says he loved us before we ever loved him. That even in our sin, that even in our worst acts and worst commitments to sin, you need to understand the love of God is still pursuing you and chasing you. And God is doing everything he can to put obstacles in front of us to keep us from being eternally separated from him. I've never seen a sinner that God didn't love. John 3.16 is clear. Recite that with me aloud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world is a big place. More than 200 nations. We've got over 7,000 languages, thousands of individual tribes. We've got people that are out in the bushlands that are burning, burning uh, sacrifices. We've got people that are praying in various temples, and yet God loves every single one of them. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says he's not willing that any should perish. And we forget that God's love for the sinner is great, even when we think someone is deserving of what's coming to him. Jesus was hanging on the cross and there's a man next to him who was a thief and a murderer. And that man turned his head to Jesus as he was hanging there in excruciating pain just like our master. And he said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He obviously had come to believe in Jesus. And Jesus looked at that man and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Standing around that cross, they didn't understand the conversation. Somewhere in Israel, there was a grieving family that had lost a loved one because of that murderer. There's somebody that possibly lost personal possessions because of that thief. But yet, as they're at home, probably saying, I'm so glad that person is getting justice today. He's being crucified. They had no idea that Jesus had just gave them entrance into heaven. So the worst person you can think of. You have no idea on this earth whether or not in their last moments God is reaching out to them yet. Yeah. Idi Amin was a terrible man in Uganda. Few people on this earth as wicked as him. Yeah. Adolf Hitler, for that man to live on this planet was for the devil to wear a pair of pants and a suit. As wicked as could be with the difficult things that he did to people. But don't mistake it for one moment. In all of their, their terrible lives and amid all of their atrocities, God never condoned what they did, but God still loved them. And when we think about people that are in politics and the ones that we despise and the ones that we don't like, don't ever allow your dislike of someone to keep you from praying for them. We should never want anyone to be separated from God for eternity. We don't have to condone what people do, but we do have to love the people that God himself loves. And that's what the scripture says. He commends his love toward us. And yet while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That was for you. That was for me. Why should I think I'm so deserving of salvation and somebody else else isn't deserving of salvation? I'm glad I accept it. I'm glad I heard. I'm glad you heard and believed. But that that little girl that was sold by her 
Hindu parents over in India because mom and dad didn't have the money to take care of another child. God loves that child. They walked that little girl up there to the Hindu temple and sold her as a sex slave to the priests up there. But God loves that little girl. And that little girl wandered around that little pagan temple wondering if there is a God. Why in the world would God let her have to spend the rest of her life servicing all these pagan people that she don't like? And her prayer is, God, if you're real, please help me. And there are people all over this nation that raise funds and help secure through ransom little girls so that they can be free. Yeah. I know some people personally involved with the the, uh, sex trafficking movement down in California who have done what they could for years to try to rescue little girls. And they'll pull up in those red light districts in a van and they'll... After they've already prepped the girls and let them know they're coming, telling them over and over again, you can escape this. If you just trust me, you can get out of this. That van will pull up. They'll open up that door. They say, if you want off the streets now, you've got to get in the van now and don't look back. And I mean, some of them dive in that van. and They're secure as they're brought to freedom and start a life all over again. Yeah. God has a plan. So I don't want you to think that anybody's so dirty, so vile, so filthy, so impure that the love of God can't reach him. Yeah. He commends his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I've never seen a sinner that God didn't love. But then I can also add to that, I've never seen a better plan of salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. No salvation exists in any other person, in any other name, in any other faith than that which is connected to Jesus. Peter believed that. Now, I didn't make this up. I didn't write this book, and this wasn't scribbled in there in the middle of the night while you were asleep yesterday. But this has been in the book for a few thousand years and people need to understand there's only one way to our father. Jesus said anybody that comes to him has to come through me. And if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men. What does the salvation package look like? It looks like this. There was a man that was in heaven. He came down here to planet Earth. And he lived the life we were incapable of living. He died the death. We could never die on that cross. And he bore our sins, sorrows, griefs, shame, depression, guilt. They took him down off of that cross when he breathed his last breath. He was in that grave. On the third day, he came up by the mighty power of the Holy Ghost. And because he was resurrected, all of us now can be justified by faith in him. And every sin can be washed by his blood. For 40 days, he talked to those disciples. Then he went back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible makes it very plain that anybody that believes in that and believes that story, believes those facts, and are born again, they're in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 1 says it this way. We hear the gospel, and then we believe the gospel, and then we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Only God can do that. Now, what's a seal? That's a mark. That's a brand. 
So you, you understand that come winter time, late winter, it's calving season for a whole lot of people. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Watch them little calves as they're jumping around in the fields, having the time of their life. They've got to do it when they only weigh about 70 or 80 pounds, because that's not going to be happening when they're over a thousand pounds. So they're, they're just having the time of their life, just kicking and jumping and having fun. But there comes a point in time where the owners say it's time to put the mark on them. You know, a lot of, you know, uh, Places not going to sell barns and stuff, not going to let you sell cattle unless you got a mark on them, a brand on them. So they'll get families together or bring somebody in that they contract. And of course, somebody's going to hold that calf. Somebody's going to take a hot poker, going to put that on that animal. And of course, it's going to place its mark there. It's going to sear that hide so that even as it gets bigger and it grows, it'll still be visible. So no matter where they go. People will know this belongs to such and such ranch. This comes from such and such family. Don't you think for one second that the devil doesn't know you belong to God. God put his mark on you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says the Lord knows those that are his. And if the Lord knows who belongs to him, the devil knows who belongs to God also. And he's paying attention to how you live and to how I live. He wants to do anything he can to trip you up, to cause you to stumble, to cause you to fall. But the beauty of the plan of salvation is if any man sins, we have an advocate with the man. Christ Jesus, see. He's the one that stands there in the gap for me. And he says, Lord, now, now, Father, you you've got to you got to be patient with Daryl. He's dumb sometimes. And, and you just got to be patient with him. And it's a beautiful thing to know that there's real heartfelt religion, true salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, false religions abound. Why is it that we wouldn't want to be Muslim? Well, number one, we don't accept Muhammad as a true prophet of God. But secondly, we don't accept the idea that the seed of Ishmael is the promised seed of God. No, it's the seed of Isaac. Muslims believe the seed of Ishmael, so they believe the Arab people are the ones specially chosen by God. Also, we don't accept the idea that we need to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. We don't believe that we can die in order to secure an instant arrival into heaven by becoming a martyr on our own. They believe that. If you're a woman, why would you ever want to be caught up in Islam? Go and spend eternity serving men in heaven. To be able to have 70 virgins for every man that dies as a Muslim. 70 virgins looking after him once he gets to heaven. Well, I guess maybe that wouldn't be so bad. But that's the religion they have. But... God has given us a plan of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not based upon works. You don't have to make a pilgrimage anywhere. And you don't have to shed your blood in any cause in order to please God. You just have to be faithful. Same thing with Mormonism. Mormonism is a belief that's based upon the founding teachings of Joseph Smith. But I wouldn't want to follow a religion where the leader died in a gunfight. 
I'm not interested in anybody finding gold plate somewhere that he can't read and can't interpret and then just making the thing up as it goes along. I'm not interested in any religion that says Jesus had to supernaturally come from Israel to come here to America because originally before the Native American Indians, there were followers of the religion of Mormonism. And then somehow it died out and that Jesus originally preached that teaching. No then I wouldn't want to believe it because they believed that Jesus and the devil were half brothers, that they got into a war in the heavenlies and Satan lost. And everybody that was on the devil's side was condemned to be born in the earth with black skin. Why would I as a black man want to be a Mormon with a teaching like that? They believe that Jesus is on some planet having celestial uh, intercourse with various ladies. And every time one of those ladies have birth out there, it's manifested here in the earth through the natural birth that women have here. Why would I want to do that? And you can understand then why so many Mormon men have a wife and then celestial brides. Could be nine, could be 10, could be 15, because they're taught to believe you're going to be yoked to this man throughout all eternity. Folks, the plan of salvation that's been provided in Jesus Christ has never been bettered, and it needs no improvement. And all I need to do is repent of my sins and accept him and I'm fine. I don't need to become a Hindu and believe in reincarnation and hope that every time I come back, my stage is better, that maybe I can go from being an insect to a rat, maybe from a rat to a sheep, maybe from a sheep to a person. I don't have to believe in a caste system that says because I was born in this particular level of society that I can never rise above it. And because of that belief, I could never be a lawyer or a doctor. My cast says, I'm destined to sweep the floor and be a janitor. Oh, no. The plan of salvation is powerful. And I've never seen a better plan of salvation. But finally, we also add that if we've never seen a better plan of salvation, we've also never seen a better time to be saved. Then right right now, right now, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So many people say, I can wait till tomorrow. I can wait till I'm older, and I can do things for God. You don't know that you're going to get older to be able to do things for God. He holds our breath in, in, our, in his hand. Every breath we breathe is in the power of the Lord. Some people love to put it off. They say, you don't understand, Pastor. Now isn't the time for me. When I finally get my life in order, then I'm going to become a Christian. You can't get your life in order without God. Some people say, oh, no, once the kids are out of the house, then we'll have a little more resources and then we'll come to church and contribute to the kingdom of God. You better start now, because if you have something that is just a little, if you're faithful with that little, God will make you a steward over much more. Yeah. Some people are constantly putting it off. 
When they think of salvation, they think of something you can put on a shelf and just pull it down just when you need it. And they say, well, in my dying moments, I'll call on the Lord. But you don't know that in your dying moments, you'll even be coherent, able to call on God. There was a, a famous jazz pianist named Fats Waller. He was born in 1904, died in 1943, so he was only 39 years of age. African-American guy, very popular, was in a lot of movies with Lena Horne and other people. And just a really good piano player, played a lot of ragtime and all of that kind of stuff. Well, he had a call of God on his life to preach. His mom and his dad were members of the full gospel church. And the pastor of that church was always telling him, you need to go ahead and walk away from all this travel, all this money, just give your life to God and get into the ministry. He kept telling that preacher, he said, preacher, I will, reverend, I will just, I got one more trip I'm going to go on. So he's tasting that money. He didn't like to give that up. So I've got one more trip I'm going on, but after that trip, I'm going to come back and answer the call to preach. He did that for years, over and over again, saying that to that pastor. And that pastor kept telling him. And then he finally told that pastor, he said, you know what? I got one more trip going out here to California, about to make a film with some major stars. After I hit it big out there, I'm coming back. I'm going to start in on this ministry. Well, when he was coming back from California, he was on a train. He got within the vicinity of Kansas City, ended up with pneumonia, and he died. And when they had his funeral, it was packed out. Adam Clayton Powell spoke the eulogy and... Adam Clayton Powell, kind of tongue in cheek, you know, he he said, Fats Waller, he said he paid, he played to packed houses in life. And look around, he's playing to a packed house in death. As if the number of people in the audience is of any importance to somebody who dies without God, without fulfilling God's call. But that pastor and ministering to that man's mother and father did his best to console them, but Bishop Lawson was up in that pulpit preaching one day and he got to thinking about this and was talking about this and thinking about Fats Waller. And he started talking about ships that never sail. He talked about the number of vessels there are that are loaded down with gifts and goods. Never leave port. Think about that. Think of the number of people in this world that know God wants them to do this. They promise God they'll do that. The Lord is stirring in their heart to do this, but they're always putting God off saying, I will eventually, Lord. I will eventually just give me a little time, Lord, and I'll do it. But yet God is churning on the inside. And these people in their disobedience and in their rebellion, they've got their anchors set in sin and they never leave port. Because they're so determined, I'm going to do my own thing. Folks, let's never be like that. Let's never be a ship that never sails. But let's be humble enough in the presence of God to say, Lord, look at where I am right now. And if I need to pull up the anchors in this, I'll pull them up right now. And I believe, God, if if you allow this vessel out of dock... I believe you'll be the pilot and guide me wherever I need to go. But let's not be disobedient to God. So many people are. 
Those are four things I haven't seen. Never seen a sin God didn't hate, never seen a sinner God didn't love, never seen a better plan of salvation, never seen a better time to be saved than right now, right now, following God. Let's stand. You'll come in contact this week with people that ask you questions about the Bible for sure. And if they don't ask you directly, they'll they'll ask you indirectly. You know, one of the easiest ways to, to, to lead into a conversation regarding uh, Jesus and witnessing is when someone says something like this to you. How was your weekend? What did you do? I see most people, they'll start in on, you know, we got up, we were working in the yard. Or, you know, we did this or did that. But what you ought to say is I'll tell you what happened. We went to church. Oh, my. Let me let me tell you what the what the pastor talked about in that message. Then you go ahead and re-preach the whole thing for 40 minutes. And then as they're trying to get up and leave and go to the restroom or go somewhere, as they're getting up, you push them back down. Say, hold on, I'm almost done. I'm on number three now. See? But if, if we witness to people, they'll know the truth. I, I, I don't want to be the person who says, I wish I would have talked to somebody. You know, 20 years ago when we were getting started out here, there was somebody in a nearby town that would come by over here to church. They went to another church, but they would come by here to meet with me sometimes throughout the week because they just needed somebody to talk to. And and I'd pray with them because they were dealing with some mental issues, taking a whole lot of medicine and committed, attempted to commit suicide on several occasions, but had survived. And so I'd sit right here in this little room here and talk to them about God. Well, I had to go off on a trip one time. I came back, hit that voice recorder there in the apartment, and it came up. There's that voice. I'm hearing that man. I said, okay, I've got to call him. Got to give him a call, see what's going on, because there were a whole lot of other messages on there, people I needed to, to get in contact with. So I waited a day, waited two days, three days. Next thing I knew, somebody called me from that church over there, said, I want you to know, because I know you were kind of close to so-and-so, he pulled a gun, I committed suicide. Mid suicide, took his life. But then right there on that answer machine, I could walk back over there and I could push that button. I could hear that voice, Pastor Darrell, when you get back into town, could you please give me a call? Well, you have a lot of opportunities to think about times you could have spent with people. Things you would have said to people. Things you might have done. Folks, remember that this week when you're talking to folks. We don't know what tomorrow brings, and we don't know what someone else's tomorrow will bring. But as long as you're in there today, let God use you to speak a good word into their heart and into their life. Let's pray. Father, when we think about how wonderful you are, and we think of David's word to all of us that he was young but now old, and he's never seen people in covenant with you, forsaken, abandoned, or begging bread. We can't help but remember, Lord, how good you've been to all of us in this sanctuary right now. And in consideration of the power of your covenant, how good you've been to each of us, we simply say thank you. And Lord, we want you to continue to lead and guide us so that with all the gifts 
and talents that you burdened us with and loaded us down with. We pray, O oh God, that we share them with others. And as we do, Lord, let lives be changed. These things we pray for in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen.